0: Infinite Horrors Podcast.
1: I just think that some of Mommy's lines and acting give him emo teenage boy energy.
0: If everyone would just shut up, this movie would be so much better. <laughs> well, welcome to the Infinite Horrors Podcast. As your hosts, I'm Sam. I'm
1: Maya. <laughs> Hello, Maya. Hey Maya, nice to see you again. It's, at the time of recording. It's been a little bit, but it seems we have the cure to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, good one. Yeah. So Maya, I'd, I'd love to hear what you got to say about this movie, Cure, directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, also written by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Sometimes called the Cronenberg of Japan, which you know is a shitty thing to say, and he can just be his own guy, but. You know. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I know we talked yes. on the phone the other day, and yeah, I love I love your comment on the villain Mia, M- Mia's clothing because I don't know th- it's a gloomy movie, and so people are wearing you know
1: I don't think it clothes. is. I think it's generally atmosphere. Okay, so before I guess we get into anything, this that is actually a good segment into something I wanted to talk about for this movie, which is shot style and whether or not you think it's New Wave because I get strong New Wave cinema vibes. Some people are on the fence about it, and it's not quite the existential tone of uh, of what we typically think about New Wave. But there were several shots when I was watching where I was like, wow, I just recently saw a lot of Jean-Luc Godard films at like our local indie cinema. And I, I see a lot of similarities. I see a lot of those like fly on the wall, intimate sort of voyeuristic shots. It's really nice. And I would kind of consider this, at least in its creation, for being something that he wanted to make a little bit more new wave. And I think that the shots are kind of expressive of that. But I, what about you? What do you think?
0: Totally. It's all subdued and very pretty. I mean, it's it's like pretty in that like gloomy kind of way. The whole movie could use a double dose of Prozac or or Lexapro it's just it's sad and the way it's shot the cinematography is gorgeous like the first the first thing that comes to mind oh my in God. that regard is
1: half of my notes are how much I like certain certain shots oh, man <laughs>
0: like when we first meet Mamiya the villain we'll get we'll get to this uh when we talk about the plot of it more but when you when you first meet Mamiya on that gloomy mm-hmm. beach it's yep.
1: it's just it's a gorgeous shot i mean my two notes for that were girl in the dunes and dune <laughs> i got both vibes yeah
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, this movie was made in the mid-90s, so pretty far removed chronologically from New Wave and also temporally. But I absolutely see your point, like some of the the camera angles and the lighting and how each shot is composed definitely is reminiscent of that era. It's a gorgeous movie. The guy's got a good eye for Dismal.
1: And I think that opening scene is actually really representative of this pattern of shots that I noticed Kurosawa used, which is he kind of alternates back and forth between really intimate shots where you're closer up on the characters. You're kind of more a part of the scene and then really isolating shots where you're much further back and it's much more atmospheric. Mm-hmm. But there's always like this sense of voyeurism the entire time, which I love. I think it makes a very nice tone, but I, I another note I had for the beach scene was, wow, wow, really fucking cool sound design. Yes. Yeah. I think like there's a lot that went into just a really nuanced atmosphere building that is honestly missing in a lot of modern movies that I've been watching and is really hard to do. And I don't think I've noticed it as much in other films we've been watching as mm-hmm. much as here, like the um, building tones that come up and overtake dialogue at certain points, I think is very effective. I think it adds to the tone of madness yeah. in the movie, so I, I like that a lot.
0: And also, like, shortly after the beach, I guess it still is the beach scene, but when that poor school teacher takes Mamiya back to his house and the sound of the waves is in the background, and Mamiya mm-hmm. comments, like, what is that sound? And it's, it's this really gorgeous unsettling reverberation in the background and he's like oh of course it's the waves this is a very pretty movie it's the first of its type in this you know uh you mentioned new wave but it was in this wave of j-har this was Mm -hmm. the progenitor for the ring and the grudge
1: and in kiyoshi kurosawa's whole career because this was his first um movie that went to cinema
0: oh well that's great good for him (laughs)
1: so he well he initially started out as an associate director and that's how he met a bunch of directors as a student Mm -hmm. that gave him his break into directing which were pink films which were movies that went direct to video that had sexual themes hence pink I don't think they were porn films I think they just had like sexual overtones from what I was reading but then also ended up doing a lot of work with this one actor who was really known for playing like Yakuza bosses
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then did a bunch of straight to video movies with him. And so he did like a ton of Yakuza movies. And then this was the first one that he got to write and make and put into a cinema. So I think he was really excited to do that. But it, you know, it is a first film. There are definitely some things that he has learned, I think, if you compare his other films like Pulse to this.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of improvements since this one.
1: I guess we should give a bit of a plot background now that we've started talking about the... uh, Yeah.
0: I mean, and this isn't the easiest movie to follow either.
1: I don't think it's that hard, if I'm being honest. I think the, the plot, the goal is very... Well laid out. I just think that there are points towards the end where there's either an unfinished story or there was a meager attempt to be more. What do you think? Input your uh, interpretation here, audience. Yeah, right. Open ended. Love the ambiguous ending,
0: like or not not so ambiguous, I should say, but uh, leaving it to the audience to to draw conclusions.
1: And if I'm honest, I I find now that I'm like going over and over my notes the past few days. I am more and more inclined to give Kurosawa the benefit of the doubt in terms of intention mm-hmm. so initially i was like oh the, a lot of this seems really lazy like there's a lot okay. so some things i will say are lazy like the ex, the way that exposition is done i think is quite lazy just having one character who exists to tell you exposition every other scene oh I think yes that's Akuma,
0: like the yeah. psychologist partner of our main character um, detective, who
1: contradicts himself every time he comes into a scene because the previous scene he'll be like i don't believe in xyz and then the next scene he'll come and ditch you know that I'm an expert on said thing that I previously said I hated? Cool. Let me tell you. (laughs) But like there are a lot of things that I was thinking about in terms of discontinuity aspects that I I think were more so now an attempt to do something quite clever that just fell short. We'll get into it after we do a brief synopsis but essentially we have a slew of murders that are taking place in whatever local area we're in in japan
0: do they say what city it is
1: i must have missed it when i was going over it
0: they do say like a specific beach for the beach scene but maybe the city is supposed to be like it could be any city you know
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's quite ethereal in its setting so Uh i think that kind of plays into it sure but um all these murders have the same mo and they gloss over it they're just like oh yeah no, there's a serial killer, but no, the killers are are the same because they have all of the killers in custody because they're all crazy people who have now confessed to what they've done without really understanding what they've done, and this kind of sets the scene for that aspect going forward, where you know it slowly comes out that they are not fully under their own control, and there's uh, an element of hypnosis that is thrown out as the. Leading right. air. devil made uh, me it kind of element. The detectives are more kind of like, well, who knows why killers kill? There's no reason. Oh, my job is to figure out what killers do. Oh, by the way, this is all hypnosis.
0: Well, that whole interaction in the beginning, it kind of sets the tone for the whole movie when They're talking about, oh, so why do murderers murder? And
1: American crime dramas kick the door down and go, listen here, bucko.
0: Yeah. You know, Sakuma's line to the detective is perfect. You know, people like to think crime has meaning. Most of them don't. And I think that speaks to this greater theme of the indifferent chaos of the universe and sometimes bad things just happen and there is no explanation and mamiya just being this agent of chaos and i hate bringing up the joker because of, of the sort of implications that because joker. we
1: live in a society
0: we live in a society <laughs> <don't know> exactly <laughs> But the relationship between this detective and the main culprit, the evil dude, is so reminiscent of many detective perp relationships, you know? Well, a
1: lot of people compare this to Silence of the Lambs. Yes,
0: that is there for sure like the mutual fascination in one another is it somewhat sexual is it you know is there an
1: admiration i don't think there's a mutual fascination i think there's a mutual frustration Mm. (laughs) um because of how their relationship plays out yeah but this is what i mean we're like You get the basis for a lot of good ideas. I think they're just not fully fleshed out in this movie. Okay. It feels like we're 75% to like a full story and full characters. Mm -hmm. That's just me. Other people are welcome to disagree. I did find a lot of very confused reviewers saying, this movie is really slow and boring and I am confused. So... Uh. You That's know, like well
0: you hear that a lot with uh,
1: with with slow burns. Yeah, right. I don't even consider this a slow burn because I think the pacing is really good for the first third of the movie. I think that the story is unfurled in a way that makes sense and is paced well. And then once we get to the supernatural element being thrown in, yeah. The thread that Kurosa was trying to follow gets a little lost. Mm-hmm they get
0: into trying to explain the monster, right? Which is always such a tricky, tricky thing to do in any story. Especially in horror, where so much of the fear comes from what the fuck is happening and how unlike this is from what I thought the world was
1: like. That's not even what I have an issue with. They had a good idea for how to give a reason for the supernatural aspect. I just think that they were confused for a second about whether or not they wanted... Mamiya to be a bad guy, or if they wanted the supernatural aspect to be more prevalent. And that's why it feels like the the mysterious hypnotist that could be Mesmer, could be somebody who followed him, yeah. who is somehow uh, infinitely present in the current world and also is nameless and faceless, but shows up randomly in these two spots. Yeah. Well, doesn't really make sense because it feels like an afterthought that was thrown in, yeah. And that's what I have an ish- issue with. Interesting. It feels like it just needed, like, another few days in the cutting room.
0: What, like, it was a little underbaked? Came out a little soft?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, honestly, I think if you just re-edited what he had shot a little bit, especially because we're already dealing with Solaris-level cuts and... Hmm reframings where it works better in Solaris because there is more of that dream-like constant quality. Here it's a little bit jarring in some spots, even given the sort of ethereal energy. I think even if you recut it and then maybe had a shorter film that was a little bit more sure in what it wanted to be, Mm. you'd have a much more solid film.
0: I would argue that it's unclearness that's a purposeful choice. Like I'm not quite sure finding all the answers as to how this worked or what the mesmer is or you know that there's that phonograph at the end of the movie like is that where all this evil is emanating from and i'm less put off by the lack of answers and that's that's almost kind of what's so appealing to me
1: but that's not that's not what i'm upset about there are answers they're all there There they're just too many uh yes ands it feels like a bad improv group you know it's like Yes, and we have this other character. Yes, and we have this extra method of doing things. Because to me, this is a very clear storyline. Like we start out, we we meet Mamiya. We show that he uses elements to hypnotize people, whether that be fire or water. And mm-hmm. those two elements play off each other symbolically throughout the film. Right. And to this point, I think that there are things that I previously discredited that I'd like to recredit to... Kurosawa here, because there are several times where a key point to Mamiya's character is that he is um, an amnesiac, but he'll say things like, who are you? Seemingly saying that his memory has reset. And then two seconds later go, Mr. Detective, after not being able to remember things. And I'm like, okay, well, that either seems like poor writing, or it's a deliberate attempt to show that this man is faking amnesia. And I think he's faking really
0: agree with the faking part i think it's more of mamiya is under the spell of whatever this mesmer stuff is too i'm
1: more on the side that there is a supernatural element but mommy is like a very deliberate baddie because that's the story as it's set out for
0: me. It's like a cursed item movie, I think. Right? Yeah. It's like The King in Yellow. Yeah. Someone got too close to the source of some evil and it, and it twisted them in some way. And that's what happened to Mamiya, right?
1: That's actually a really good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would say it's very King in Yellow. Right. Is that Mamiya
0: was investigating mesmer and mesmerism and dug a little too deep, found something that his little human mind wasn't really prepared to fully absorb and it fucked his head and made him into this like conduit for whatever kind of Uh, to your point it is a bit of a funny explanation if you're gonna have anything be the source of whatever evil spirit or wavelength has disrupted your characters mesmerism's a funny one the only other movie i can think about that uses horror movie i should say that uses hypnotism in that way is that one kevin bacon movie stir of echoes have you, have you ever oh seen no oh. i think
1: the only horror kevin bacon i've seen is tremors Oh,
0: love tremors but like right so kevin bacon like he talks to a hypnotist at a party and like through hypnotism he's unzipped right i think about danny devito and that excellent always sunny episode When he's speaking to the therapist and the therapist unzips him and he talks about like frog kid and all that. Anyway, so (laughs) Kevin Bacon essentially gets unzipped and it unlocks this evil within him that makes him start hallucinating and whatnot. And this movie is kind of similar, right? Is that when you're introduced to whatever cosmic element this is, whether it's mesmerism or, or something deeper, Maybe mesmerism is just a human name to this completely inhuman thing that we can't understand. To your point earlier that, you know, the elements he uses to hypnotize people, he uses fire and water. You know, he both remembers everything and nothing. It's that kind of weird duality. Uh,
1: that see i don't get that though i think the writing would have to be different or the or the direction would have to be d- different to show that the way that these hypocritical sentences in his own dialogue within the space of seconds happen have no change in the way it's shot have no change in the way it's acted have no change mm-hmm. in the way it's spoken so that, that to me seems more like it's an act of deception whether that's because there is truly an element of Mamiya still there or whether he's fully possessed is up to another branch of this fractal of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there is a deliberate element of misdirection and deception that goes into everything Mamiya says. And I, I would lean more on the aspect that he is fully possessed because uh-huh. I think they make it very clear that there is an element of supernatural um, right. hold, both with the fact that, you know, there's the X, everything has to do with an X. And they found that mysterious VHS tape that showed the first instance of this killing happening after a mysterious hypnotist did an X symbol. Right, uh, in the air. Or in the movie, it is the symbol of the cross, which is another biblical term, Mm -hmm. um, which is another pattern we see. And after that, it's very clear that they're connecting this figure on the VHS tape to Mamia and the killings. And then we see this faceless photo twice about who this hypnotist could be. And then it's heavily implied that it is Mesmer to some degree, hmm. right? I think what they're trying to do is very clear. I think that there were just better choices that could have been made to make it less open-ended, if that makes sense. Sure, Because I think there's a difference between open-ended and open for interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I think there I think there are elements of both. I think there are several ways that this was left too open-ended. And one of those things would be this mysterious figure. I think that they didn't include enough to give you more of a direction in what they were trying to do there. So like again, the faceless photos considering they come at the end and they're not really worked into the story feel like afterthoughts.
0: A question I have for you is, did you think this movie was scary? And if so, like, what is scary about it to you?
1: No, I was laughing out loud with the person I watched this with constantly. Mm -hmm. It felt very slapstick to me. Hmm. It felt like a parody of a Japanese drama half the time to me. And a lot of it goes into the writing that says things like the main detective, who I'm currently blanking on, Takabe, I think is his full name. uh, Takabe, yeah. Yeah. So Takabe has things where he's like, "I was trained as a detective to never show my emotions," and then two seconds later, for, without any real prompting, would just start screaming and throwing things. Uh, and
0: then uh, well, like constantly. Yeah, but, doing this. Yeah, but that scene's supposed to that. No, that, it
1: happens multiple scenes out of nowhere. No, I
0: know, but I, I think that scene in particular is like you know that's that's when he's opening up to Mamiya in a a very much, like, to your point earlier, a Clarice Sterling and Hannibal Lecter moment. I don't get that vibe. Where he's, like, opening up to this guy and being like, yeah, like, I'm supposed to be this bite your lower lip and and suffer through it, detective. But his wife is at home, ostensibly experiencing early onset dementia is how I interpreted it. And he's frustrated. And he said, you know, I think the purpose of that scene was, yeah, it, it was a contradiction, him being like, oh, I'm not supposed to, you know, blow my gasket. And then he goes and blows his gasket. I think the point of that is to be like, to really show The inner frustration of that character.
1: You give it a lot more leeway than I do. I (laughs) don't have that interpretation. So it's a lot more of... See, okay, so all all of the scenes in which he does go from zero to 100 in the space of like a second, there's nothing to prompt him to do that. So it feels very out of place. And then on top of this direct dialogue cue feels out of character and it's not given the context of he's being influenced by Mamiya so it's like it's more to me something that he just I I, I don't know it just feels like bad writing again to me like there's nothing prior to him saying that that suggested he had this sort of bipolar energy to him and there's nothing that really prompts him to trigger these episodes he just kind of loses control of himself in the same way that idris elba's luther loses control of himself oh but what a great as reference much, <laughs> as so much fun. as i hate that show because i really don't like luther as a show uh, but at least he's i'm more of a way of your guy myself
0: yeah i get you yeah
1: So, like, there's no real reason for it in this movie. He just kind of does it. I think it honestly might be something that's like, oh, we need something to push this forward, which is why I think we also have the detective sort of sidekick character, where it's just kind of like, yeah, we have an easy way to push this forward, but it doesn't really mesh with the rest of the story. So in this, I think you're much more kind to this movie than I am. But well, I, this, um, this
0: I, I love this movie. I remember watching this movie in middle school and thinking it was just about the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Well, I saw this after I saw Pulse.
1: I mean, I did too.
0: I appreciate Pulse much more as a film than this movie. No, I do too. I still love this movie. I think this movie is very cool. I think it plays with a lot of fun ideas and I am a huge fan of when a police procedural skews paranormal, and that's and that's what this is. This movie fits that bill to the T. And I'm a huge
1: you know what fan of that. you know what I just r- realized. Hmm. I think this movie could be quote unquote perfect in my eyes if you just got rid of the dialogue and it just became a fully silent film with, a, if with you had the musical track, cards that did the dialogue for you that'd be not fun. even i think because it's so well shot atmospherically and there's so much that you know is kind of out there for interpretation i think it would be a much more effective film without any dialogue hmm it'd you be know? tough to
0: have an audience sit through that though
1: i don't think Speaking so slow burns I, I think if you're already liking the things that make it what it is, I think you're going to like it for that too. And I think, I genuinely think it would be a stronger film.
0: Mm. So
1: maybe more people would like it. If everyone Um, would
0: just shut up, this movie
1: would be so much better. (laughs) Oh, but I also really fucking hate the casting for this. (laughs) Like, I think, I think the, the direction for the acting is strange. I think the deliveries are wrong. Like not in the sense of like, that's, not the vision of the director. I just think that some of some of Mommy's uh, lines and acting give him emo teenage boy energy, which really undermines his character to me. <laughs> and then there's like this weird, sexual tension between him and Taer I know when are they and just then, gonna
0: shut up and do it
1: <laughs> it's like it's weird it's really strange but at the same time like uh, to go back to like shots I love whenever they're in the same room um, like when he was in the sanatorium I really I really like that scene for two reasons one, there is a force of perspective where Mommy is smaller than Takabe yeah. in the forefront for a little bit, and then they switch, uh-huh. and then that shows a power switch. But then the same time, Takabe at some point gets hold of his lighter, which is kind of thought to be the source of his powers. Right, and it's like implied throughout the movie during the shots so that that's how he gets his powers. Right, and then he takes the lighter. The lighter gets sizzled out by a bunch of dripping water, and then the shot puts Mamiya back in the foreground and it's like another shift of power, which I love. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful. And I love the scene in the interrogation room where both of their faces are half hidden by the other. That's beautiful. Right. So I think the shots and the symbolism that goes into the shots is really meaningful. I just think the dialogue in this movie is utter shit.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, you know, I mean, I I think with a lot of movies, particularly foreign films, the mistranslations are something to consider, you know,
1: like... uh, That's true. I did wonder if all the biblical imagery was a translation issue. I'm more willing to... Think of it that way,
0: right? This is just this is just a mistranslation.
1: Yeah, but the delivery was still bad, so you know, oh. I'm still I'm still jaded. <laughs> it's it's really just the the like young guy who plays Mommy. I really don't like him.
0: What scares me about this movie? What makes me think about and what makes me scared of is just like how impressionable people can be. And how easy it is to push people towards violence.
1: Well, there are several cases of Japanese serial killers, I guess, that are like this, right? Not, not that Japan has a lot of serial killers. I think there's only a handful. And generally, the country has a very low crime rate. Mm-hmm. And most of their murders are solved, which I think is another right. big cultural thing that goes into this movie. Because, you know, we're both American. Murder is a thing that happens all the time. I think the murder rate of America is like 15 times to 20 times that it is of Japan. Uh So I think this is a much scarier concept for a Japanese audience. Mm -hmm. But there was like a a serial killer that would kidnap women and then make them accomplices to his work. There was that guy in like the latter 20th century that, you know, poisoned a bunch of um, drinks at vending machines and left them there. Stuff like that. There was this
0: really weird, I don't even want to call it a social experiment, but uh, have you ever heard of the the blue whale experiment? I don't think so. So it... In the age of the internet, obviously we're in the age of the internet now, but a few years back, there was this kind of phenomenon among amongst teenagers across the world where they were committing suicide or hurting people. And the way they kind of explained it off was that they were convinced to by some entity online that went by Blue Whale, right? These poor kind of susceptible kids were online and and they somehow find themselves in this blue whale network and given like a series of tasks, right? So they'd start off benign, like draw a picture of a blue whale and send it to me. And they would do that. And then evolve to like, take a video of you crushing a lizard and send it to me. Take a video of uh, you hurting a child and send it to me. And and it just kept going and going. And these, and these kids would keep doing these increasingly drastic things until finally the end task would be kill yourself. And some of these kids ended up doing it. Were
1: these all of the, the hanging or like self-asphyxiation things that happened to American teens? Or is that something else? Because there was also an internet thing.
0: The choking game?
1: Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, That was another big thing. Well, it's
0: it's kind of similar, right? Where it's just like somebody has poisoned the ether and is sending out weird signals to kids and making them do things. And that's what this movie makes me think about, how kind of susceptible we are to manipulation, and I
1: mean, you just have to look at TikTok and how many teenagers have stolen things from their schools for internet clout, right? Oh, like <laughs> right. Children are very I'm hearing about, uh,
0: I mean, you know, I might be, you know, the fucking old person yelling at my TV about the younger generation being stupid and bullshit. But like, I was hearing the other day about one of these TikTok challenges where people are like hijacking
1: Kia cars. Yep. And people have died at this point because they have stolen cars and died. People have died doing this. That's what
0: this movie makes me think about. And that's why I think it's pretty brilliant.
1: And it, I mean, but you don't even have to go to the internet age for that because Japan also has a history of younger people killing themselves related to the deaths of people they've idolized, right? Oh, like,
0: have you ever seen that movie, Sion Sono's uh, Suicide Club?
1: Yes, actually.
0: that is Well, you know, again, there's that weird phenomenon of, to your point, when someone dies that they love, there's just like a proliferation of suicides. Scary stuff.
1: But like at the same time, like with murder, again, uh, cultural context, suicide is much higher than murder in Japan. There must be a different way that people there would interpret the two or feel about the two. And I think I, to your point, this is more the fear of impressionability and the sort of loss of morals compared to if somebody took their own life, right? Yeah. I think one of the scenes in which that theme comes to fruition is the doctor who would, you know, obviously have a very strong moral code is there to help people. And then her hatred of the sexism she's faced uh, coming up in her career. such a beautiful
0: career. scene. Not
1: gonna lie, a little bit relatable, but you know, not about to go out and kill a man in the public bathrooms that, oh man I love that when he's like
0: talking her through like that was the first time you ever saw a naked man body and you cut it up oh my god
1: <laughs> it's very good I will say that is the best part of the dialogue for me oh, I really that was like that awesome
0: that was such a good part and you know because at first he's playing off like he knows nothing and then it's like he's been in this woman's head all along and it's I don't know i ugh, so creepy.
1: Most of Mamiya's lines are like that. Like the way that he starts shifting from helpless guy that needs your direction to mastermind is when he first says something that only they could know and then says, tell me about yourself, right? Right. Like, who are you? Which, you know, again, good concept. Wish that it was a little bit more developed. But this actually, that scene... Brings me to another thing I'm desperate to fucking talk about. I am uh-huh. so fucking excited. Oh my god. Do you know who did the special effects, like the practical effects for this? No. Who? Yuichi Matsui.
0: I don't know who this is. Please explain. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, one of the better known practical effects artists, at least for me, of Japan. Um, okay. So he did work for Kill Bill, Juon, Ichi the Killer. Wow. Like we're talking big name i was yeah. like I was, I was like wait why do i know the name matsui it's because of his work in ichi the killer and juon and i was like damn this is really cool but he also did work for audition which uh, is a audio book that i am currently trying to start that's a band yeah
0: get out of town that
1: is you a didn't book. know
0: <laughs> Oh my god, it's a god. really good book oh i'm gonna okay have to we'll do another episode <laughs>
1: Jeez. What else? That is so cool. He did Shudder, which is a newer movie, but I didn't like it that much. Yeah. He also did Drive My Car, but that's also a pretty right. disappointing new movie.
0: Oh, you didn't <laughs> like that?
1: Oh, I no. enjoyed that so much. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, I mean, he's done a lot of Kaidan. So, like, he did a lot of special effects makeup for various Kaidan movies. Uh-huh which I think we should one day do an episode on Quiet on I'd the, love like, too. That's one of my favorite movie. He did work for The Grudge. Perfect. Well,
0: that's Ju-on. So, right? Ju-on or are you saying the American no. remake? The second one. Whatever the second one was. Ah, ju uh, um, it, it yeah, it can get a little it can get a little confusing cuz like there's Ju-on The Grudge, which is the Japanese version, and then there's yeah. just The Grudge, which is the American remake.
1: Yes. yes. Well, he did Stuff for both of them. He's done stuff for the ring. Like this is this is like a big name.
0: That's very cool. Was this like earlier in their career or
1: um, it was kind of sort of early middle. They're prolific practical effects artists, obviously, as we've just realized going over his names. But like that whole skin peel back, I was I was so happy. I was I was like, That was such an amazing scene. So I, I wrote down the
0: moments that really scared me in this film, and that's top of the list. A hundred percent. When the female doctor is in the bathroom, right? And acting out her... Uh,
1: yeah. I do like that it was a callback to her dissecting cadavers. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, the other scene I really thought was pretty scary. When they're searching, and it reminds me so much of Seven. The, 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 the plot of this movie and the plot of Seven are so similar.
1: Yeah, a lot of people who wrote reviews generally compared it to either... Silence of the Lambs or Seven.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the structure of it, it's its like, you know, Seven is, it obeys the same sort of like procedural story structure where like the first half is a string of murders and finding the connection with them, getting the villain and the detective in the same room at like the midpoint. And then after that, it becomes about the relationship and the conflicting world views of the detective and the... And the perp from that point to the end of the
1: movie. I mean, to that point, going back to the sanatorium scene, one of the forced perspectives of the shot is Mamiya being placed over Takabe's shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then I have a note in here that says, oh, man, devil on the shoulder trope. Yeah, exactly. quote unquote, no. <laughs> The devil made me do it. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of goes back to that. But that was nice. I liked that.
0: Uh-huh. This movie also reminds me, so there's this Larry Cohen movie of the 70s called, literally it's called God Told Me To. Have you ever seen that or heard of it? I've heard of it. Again, it's very similar to this, right? Where there's a string of murders throughout a city that are totally unconnected, except for the fact that, you know, the person who's doing the murders in each of these murders says God told me to at the end. And the whole movie is this guy trying to figure out the connection between all these various murderers. I don't want to explain too much, but it it has a similar, weird, paranormal-adjacent explanation to it. It's worth watching. If I were to do a double... I would watch it. If I were to do a double feature with this movie, with Cure, it would be Larry Cohen's God Told Me To. They play with very similar uh, themes. It's great.
1: Actually, continuing on this biblical angle, oh. um, do you remember the... Point during like sort of one of the expositional scenes with Takabe and his detective friend. I think they're at his house and now the other guy's like a little bit, going a little bit crazy because he's been reading into it again and we see kind of a parallel between him and Mamiya. Mm-hmm. It's when the ex shows up in his house and he goes a little nuts. But at one point he describes Mamia as a missionary. Yes. Sent to them. Yes, right. Which is more biblical language. right very true. <laughs> Which I think is interesting, but I wish they would flesh that out a little bit more because I think that's kind of a really nice line that was just dropped and not really followed up on. Mm-hmm. I guess I wish that the relationship between Mamia and the supernatural force was a little bit more explored than it was. And I know you like the fact that it isn't. No, no, um, no. I do know what
0: you mean. To clarify what I meant earlier, I don't want to know what this force is, right? Right. That's more what I mean. Kind of in a god, I hate using this adjective every episode, but I'm going to do it again. It's like a it's like a Lovecraftian element, right? It's like we couldn't possibly comprehend this force that's been tapped into. But Mamia has found himself as its conduit yeah, or it's, its missionary.
1: I guess in this way, it reminds me of a lot of supernatural horror, like any of the Conjuring, Hereditary, mm-hmm. where like you're getting a bunch of humans manipulated by a greater force, right? Right. I kind of like the fact that it's not as on the nose as the sort of Western analogs to that. Right. And it's a bit more subtle, but I wish we got more of that relationship between the unknown photo and that force and uh, like a little bit more about mommy as a student and his fall from grace Mm -hmm. because I, I think that's what we're missing I think we're missing a nice fall from grace and I think there's hints of it I think it's just we see the start of it for some characters and we only see the end for other characters and I wish that we saw that like drama Mm -hmm. but that could also be my my western sensibilities so um (laughs) but like you know going into the final scene which I think was a little anticlimactic if I'm fully honest yeah I don't fully understand the motivation behind the killing of Mamiya like I It's like one of those things for me that shows these out of place zero to 100 decision making skills of Takabe, where he just goes from the most logical and calm decision to the most extreme one without any real context for his motivations as a character. Uh. (laughs) So I don't really love that. Um, But I did note another biblical allusion, which would be the painting of God and Adam with their fingers touching. right, And then, you know, reference to hell again. Hmm. And then I also made a note that said, I add this to my interpretation that he's faking his memory issues. I don't remember why I wrote that. I'm guessing he has been less amnesiac towards the end of his life because he says things that are indicative of him understanding his history and understanding what's happening that are in line with the way his character usually is, there's no difference, there's no change, like I said before, with all these discrepancies, I want to believe it's a deliberate choice throughout the film to cause this Mamiya character, whether it is, you know, the original or the possessed or a mix or whatever, to purposeful deceptions. In in your mind, when he says he can't remember,
0: you think he actually can. Yes. Ah, so I, I don't think he has control either, right? So when he says he can't remember, I really do think that he doesn't remember. And then when he's also able to bring things up about people that he couldn't possibly know, I think it speaks more to the fact that like when he's labeled an amnesiac, that's just a human explanation that couldn't possibly cover what's actually going on with him, right? Some supernatural possession.
1: I don't think there's enough evidence to show that because, again, there's no change in the way he talks. There's no change in the way he acts. There's no change in the way the shot is set up. And these things happen between sentences.
0: Well, he's... So I... Right? The only real openness we get from him about his experience as this vessel. When he's with the doctor, when he's filling the glass of water, right? And he's talking about how empty he is. He is nobody anymore. Like he's not Mamiya. Even though it is Mamiya's body, whatever he used to be is is gone, right?
1: But to that point, why wouldn't the supernatural being have a full memory of who he's talking to at the minute? You know, this is what I mean. He'll say things confused about his current circumstances, but in the next sentence or in a few sentences, act like he has a full memory of what's going on and where he is while trying to show that his memory is inconsistent between those sentences and it doesn't make sense to me. So that's why I Uh, think that it has to be deliberate. Yeah, yeah. I think the point is, is that it's just like you're saying, it's unsettling
0: for someone to flip-flop between. I don't
1: think it's unsettling. I think it's oh, annoying. It's
0: unsettling to choice. me, I'll say.
1: It's not presented in an unsettling way. It's presented in a discontinuity to me. And while I was watching it, was accepting it as a discontinuity. But now looking back, want to believe that it was a deliberate choice to make a, a sort of deception clear for the character. That's, mm-hmm. that's all I'm saying.
0: But you're saying the deception is coming from the character itself, that mommy... Uh... Is tricking these people on purpose. He has more agency in the deception. Well,
1: whether or not Mamia is the same person he was when he was a student is right. not something I am going to get into. But I'm saying uh-huh. whatever is speaking those lines right. is making a deliberate choice to be deceptive. Hmm. Also, my my last note for the movie was running theory that Mamia is really just the reincarnated mysterious hypnotist so i think we're on the same page of like mm-hmm. what we believe the goal of the story was to present right sure, it's sure. sense of recurring missionary like characters uh-huh but we all know demons really like it missionary style so do they i i, I, I would always assume that they
0: hold each other's horns and stuff i don't know <laughs> however one does that and wherever the horns could be it could be whatever horn is available to grab (laughs) oh the lower horn
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I love
0: futurama so much
1: (laughs) i swear to god
0: today's episode of the infinite horrors podcast is brought to you by exalted funeral the one-stop shop for all your imaginative needs.
1: At Exalted Funeral, you can pick up the latest issue of Infinite Worlds, Infinite Horrors, or any other zines available to satisfy your otherworldly and gruesome desires.
0: Yes, and for all you tabletop adventurers tuning in, take your next campaign to the darkest reaches of the mind with Exalted Funeral's rich variety of dark fantasy, horror, and occult-based scenarios.
1: And don't forget to check out their merch. Make your outsides as weird as your insides with their selection of shirts, sweaters, and even custom dice.
0: All this and more can be found at exaltedfuneral.com. Follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Exalted Funeral, all one word. And be sure to sign on to their mailing list to stay up to date on new releases, restocks, and other news. Thanks again to Exalted Funeral for sponsoring this episode. Kiyoshi Kurosawa have you seen other than pulse have you seen uh, many other of his films
1: i mean he doesn't have that many that weren't straight to video right like there's only a handful that were like starting from this movie and onwards released right there's not like a crazy extensive filmography at least not in the united states yeah
0: i would highly recommend and it's not it's not a horror movie but I will mention it. I saw it in theaters when it came out. It's called Before We Vanish. It's this really, really interesting alien invasion movie where-
1: I'm into it. Yeah.
0: It, and it's, it's about um, essentially the recon team of aliens who are uh, the first to integrate themselves into society before the rest of their- you know, species comes to invade her.
1: Okay, very third rock from the sun, but okay. oh exactly. No, exactly. Like
0: they're, <laughs> they're like they're like the recon team, the kind of prep for the coming invasion. It's really good. And and it kinda has that same downbeat melancholy feel as this movie. Does it have Plan
1: Nine for Outer Space Cop dialogue?
0: Oh, I wish, but no. I, I can't remember any bad police in that
1: movie. I count this movie cure as having Plan 9 from Outer Space Cop Dialogue. I'm sorry. I know that's going to hurt you, but they have goofy energy. Some of the cops who are really goofy. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah, they're not... Don't go into this movie thinking that you're about to watch Pulse, right? Like, go into it with a friend, maybe, and just kind of don't expect a lot from it. If you like slow burns, don't think about slow burn films. I don't think it's much of a slow burn. I think it's more of a slow pace. But the first the first third is well paced. The second two thirds are a little bit all over the place. And I think that turns off a lot of viewers. Um, but I think it's worth a watch. I think it's a very atmospherically nice movie. I think it is an interesting premise. I just think that you can come to your own conclusions about whether or not you see the same flaws as I do or Sam does. And if you have a widely different interpretation, feel free to spam us with comments or DMs. I am sure that it, I'm at least ready to argue with a bunch of people. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I,
0: I give this movie, I mean, and this is, you know, an arbitrary Sam West Williams rating, but I give it eight spooky ghosts out of 10 spooky ghosts. <laughs> I I really do enjoy this movie.
1: I think you mean incorporeal forces of evil. Yeah, right. Me- Thank you. Mesmer phantoms
0: or whatever. <laughs> Mesmerization. Whatever the fuck they're they're going with in this movie.
1: But yeah, I think I sent you some reviews for this movie that I thought were funny. Yeah.
0: Before we close this out, do you wanna do you wanna read some of those out loud?
1: Sure. At first, I was intrigued by the box. I do tend to judge movies by their covers, somewhat unfortunately. Sadly, this movie disappointed me. It really was just boring. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. I, I do think that they mislead you with the box. I think they give more importance to the mysterious photograph than they do in the plot. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's boring. I just think it it was a little bit undercooked. You know? Right. A little stuff. It's still tasty. It's still tasty. And I don't think I'm going to get salmonella, but it was not as
0: pleasant. Look, I love an underbaked cake, cookies, brownies. <laughs> oh, love God. The, cooler, the better. <laughs> but brownie tartare, please.
1: I did see a lot of like weird racism and like Japanese fetishizing um, in the lot of the comments that are very... We love Oriental occultism Ugh, oh. and all of that, which is <laughs> gross. I swear to God, once I was in a thrift store in Buffalo and I went to go buy some teacups and an old man looked at me and said, oh, you're one of them Orientals, aren't you? And I'm like, oh, sir, I did not know that we had racist language from the 1920s Jesus. persisting in this day and age. <laughs> and I'm like, "I uh, what? <laughs> I just want my teacups. Could <laughs> you just
0: shut up and take my money so I can leave?
1: <laughs> Gosh! Like, I'll give you a point for surprising racism language, <laughs> but like, you know, still, hey, how about we don't fetishize Japanese culture and films? <laughs> That's a little weird. This one says a japanese film noir slow-paced little action quote-unquote film in which a psychotic hypnotist tricks people into murdering the detective who figures him out deals with his own psychosis in the process sound familiar yep nothing original here dry and bland as crackers so why four stars from almost one thousand reviews because anyone who watches foreign film noir will automatically love it just because it's foreign bullshit my friends wow that person's horrible
0: <laughs> That person sounds like (laughs) such an asshole.
1: Yeah, it's not the best movie from this director. It's not the best Japanese horror film or film noir. It's not unoriginal, though. There is quite an original idea here, and it did kind of kickstart a lot of famous japanese horror as we talked about so i don't know what this guy's on about i think he's just a little upset that his brand of pretentious movie watching is not at play here (laughs) (laughs) um and then victor says a few gory scenes with a lot of talk 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 boring Oh, wow. Which is just, just really funny. Again, I don't think the movie's boring. I just think that there's a lot of underdeveloped dialogue. So I can kind of understand the criticism of the dialogue that was kind of touched on here. Uh, um, and then a lot of people were just confused. This one is really cute. Kira is so confusing that I still don't know exactly what happened. But I liked it. <laughs> 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 Which I think is the vast consensus, if I'm being honest. Uh.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. But also, I don't know, watch it again.
1: (laughs) I don't think it's something that requires a lot of vast attention. And I think it's easy to follow in the sense that like Twin Peaks is easy to follow, right? Where like there's, though Twin Peaks is a little bit less open for interpretation relative to the type of writing that Cure has, in my opinion. But like, you know, it's. There's a little bit of of wacky interpretation that needs to happen, but it's not something that you need to be fully honed into. So I would call this a casual watch.
0: Mm-hmm. It's funny you bring up Twin Peaks. I definitely get some David Lynch vibes off this movie. I don't. Oh, you do not? <laughs> I don't at
1: all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it has that brand of supernatural otherness. I think there's a brand of supernatural otherness that is unlike Lynch. I don't think they have similar directorial writing styles, but
0: it's got that like dreamlike quality to it. Like, like, I don't think it does. Mm. I I don't find it dreamlike. Oh, I do. It's a sleepy, sleepy, sad dream, but it's certainly a dream. No, I've
1: I've, I would say it's more akin to the tone of like a Godard film. Like, if if I were to compare it to something, it's it's only I, I would call it a voyeuristic life piece. Like, I think it does have those aspects of m- something similar to New Wave. And then just with a supernatural crime element, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I I don't know why we have this, we usually have very similar takes. So I'm very, I'm very surprised that we have. That's the nice
0: thing about about art, right, is that we can all have our own little idea of what it means. And it's not like either of us are right or wrong.
1: No, I'm I'm just really interested in why we have such vastly different interpretations of this particular movie. I wasn't expecting this at all. Is it, well,
0: for me, it's like, I hold this movie very near and dear to my heart. So, you know, my opinion comes with this grain of salt. Very nostalgic for me. Like, I remember watching this movie in my buddy's basement in, like, eighth grade and just being so happy <laughs> that, like, that a movie like this existed.
1: So this really is truly just a reversal of our Plan 9 episode. No,
0: really. It is. This is really funny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it was funny because someone was talking to me about my Plan 9 experience. And I was just like, I just don't like uh, that movie. I, and again, I can appreciate it, but I, it's, I don't enjoy sitting through a movie like that.
1: That's fair. I, I do enjoy it. Yeah. I think it's fun. But like, I do get slapstick vibes from this. I didn't hate sitting through it. I think it's fun. I would watch it again. I just went into it with the with a different expectation and I think that increased my criticism of it at least relative to you mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Totally. Um, totally. And it's weird cuz like I don't think I know that much about Kurosawa and like I listened to a lot of interviews from him this weekend after watching the movie mm-hmm. and He doesn't talk that much about his process and his life and his inspirations. Mm. I don't think that Kurosawa has as much of an openness about his process and creativity as a lot of other artists we've looked at. And it's hard to try to derive meaning without going further into you know, the artist and what they were trying to put out. And there's not that much inf- information. So it's really on the watcher to use past experience and sort of put that over.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, playing it close to the chest, not everyone's going to spill their secrets. Keep keep your secrets.
1: <laughs> Maybe we all have to enroll in one of his classes at Tokyo University.
0: I mean, I'd love to, but I don't know. I can't just, can't just uh, audit that class, I don't think. I mean, how's
1: your Japanese?
0: Pretty pretty bad. There we go. <laughs> pretty bad. So, yeah. Um, this was this was a very fun episode. I'm really glad we got to do cure. It'll open up our conversations, certainly as a good reference point when we do movies like The Grudge or The Ring. You can definitely see how this movie influenced all of those. And we'll get to that when we speak to those Yeah, movies. and
1: then also, you know, we've already started talking a lot about Japanese folklore and right. other things. So we should definitely talk about Quiet On at some point. I think that will be a good tie-in to future J-horror, especially because we've already mentioned it in each of our J-horror episodes. Right. But I, I would say my recommendation for watching this movie would be to focus on the symbolism of the shots and the symbolism of the objects rather than the characters. Mm. I think that will be a more rewarding experience. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, that about wraps things up for me. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty spent on talking about Cure, but this has been good.
1: Don't need a cure, need a final solution.
0: <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> is that a lyric I don't understand? It's, f- it's
1: from Peter Murphy's final solution song.
0: Oh, I don't know You're that. not enough Who of a
1: goth. That? God, it's fine. I know. I Call know. yourself I'm a sorry. horror fan, and you don't even like Bauhaus and Peter Murphy. Oh
0: no, I don't. <laughs> sorry, it's not that I don't like Bauhaus. I, I I think it's fine. I just don't. I just don't put. I just don't sit and put them. Well, on. now
1: I feel like we need to watch The Hunger and do an episode on that, just so I can make you watch the opening scene with Peter Murphy clawing at a chain link fence in a golf club. Oh. That sounds fun. Yeah, it has lesbian (laughs)
0: vampires. It's 80s. It has David Bowie. I have a great story of the time I went to a goth club, but that is for another time.
1: (laughs) Was it more like that episode of X-Files with David Duchovny going into a goth club?
0: Yeah, I saw things you can't put on TV. (laughs) So, (laughs)
1: yeah. (sighs) All right. It
0: was lovely. I was such a fly on the wall, but oh man, that was a good day. day.
1: Well, thank you for suggesting cure i think this was a lot of fun definitely yeah catch you next time see ya infinite horrors magazine is a full color ad-free print magazine from the creators of infinite worlds you can get your signed and hand-numbered direct edition copy of infinite horrors number one plus infinite horrors merch at infinitehorrorsmagazine.com you can also get the newsstand edition at exaltedfuneral.com be sure to check out the infinite worlds podcast as well as the infinite worlds magazines Find us on social media at Infinite Horrors Magazine or Infinite Worlds Magazine. Also, feel free to visit InfiniteHorrorsMagazine.com or InfiniteWorldsMagazine.com. And you can follow me online on Instagram at Heavy underscore Metal underscore Fruit.
0: And you can follow me on Instagram at HorrorSamW. Thanks for listening.